Amen. And our hearts confess him, King of glory now. Let's unite together in prayer, seeking God's face for our gospel witness this evening. Our eternal God, our loving Heavenly Father, we do still our hearts together in thy holy presence. And we thank thee, our Father, as we seek thy face tonight, that we can say there is but one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And therefore, our Father, as we come to thee tonight, we do come in and through that name that is above every other name. We thank thee for thy beloved Son and our Saviour, the one who was able to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And therefore, as we would come tonight to seek thy face, we come, our Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank thee, our Father, that thou hast promised that thine ear is attentive unto the voice of our supplications. Thou art a God who delighteth in mercy. Thou art a God who delights in the prayers of his children. The Father seeketh such to worship him. And as we would come tonight, O God, to this gospel meeting, we pray for each one that is gathered that we would know the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in our midst by the power of God the Holy Spirit. Thou wouldst be pleased to come, our Father, and reveal afresh the things of God to us. Thou wouldst draw us out after thee this evening. And oh, as we would open up the Scriptures, draw us afresh to the Saviour. We thank thee that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, that in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. We thank thee tonight that every born-again believer can say with the Apostle Paul that we are complete in him. And we thank thee, our Father, that we're saved and we're shut in eternally. And we would ask, O God, tonight, that in every aspect of our coming together, we would have that single eye to the glory and praise of our Lord and Saviour. Yea, it would be our desire that he alone would have all the preeminence. And so tonight, our Father, we pray that man would be hid far behind the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou wouldst give us grace to magnify and to exalt his precious name. And oh, we would thank thee, O God, afresh tonight for the great message of the gospel. We thank thee for the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, that God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And as we come, O God, to these meditations on the cross of Calvary, we pray that they would be a blessing to the hearts of thy children, might be the means, O God, of increasing our faith in the Saviour, might be the means of giving to us that greater assurance that we're shut into Christ and that we're saved for all eternity, might give in our hearts, O God, that greater love 
for the one who first loved us. And though a greater zeal, a greater enthusiasm for the service of the Lord, though that our lives may tell by way of our testimony and our witness that we would shine forth with the beauty and with the radiance of our Lord and Saviour. And we would pray, O God, at this time, even across our land and nation, when there would be that national mourning, when people's hearts and minds are turned, even to consider our own mortality, to consider the brevity of life. We pray that Thou wouldst move, O God, even in these circumstances and in this situation, Thou wouldst use it to speak to the hearts of individuals that men and women and young people, yea, even boys and girls, might be drawn to the Saviour, might turn from their sin, might trust in the Lord. And, O Father, even here in this corner, that salvation would visit this house and we would know our Father, the work being built up, consolidated, further established to the glory and to the praise of thy great name. And again tonight we do remember our royal household. Thou knowest our Father, even the sorrow and the grief, but we praise thee that thou art the one who is able to come and bind up the broken in heart. Thou art able to lift up the downcast. Thou art the Father of mercies. Thou art the God of all comfort. We pray that thou wouldst draw near, O God, even remembering our new king, uh, King Charles III. We pray, O God, that he would know even the power of God to his heart, and he would know that wisdom that comes from heaven. And Lord, as we've prayed before, that he would become that true defender of the faith, that faith that was once delivered unto the saints. We ask, O God, as he would go over even the formula of words and he would hear our Father the truth of the gospel even being presented to him as he would hear thy word being read. And when it comes to the time of his coronation, we pray, O God, that the entrance of thy word would indeed give light We think of the prayer of William Tyndale all those years ago as he was tied to the stake when he prayed, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And we pray that there might be an opening up in these days and that many, O God, would seek and find thee as their Lord and Saviour. Father, our hearts are heavenward. Our expectation is from the Lord. Where can we go but to the Lord? For thou hast the words of eternal life. Father, speak even this night with that voice that wakes the dead. Cause a people to hear. Draw them by thine irresistible grace to close in with thine offer of mercy. Do hear and answer prayer. We offer it in the Saviour's name. Amen. Amen. I'd invite you to turn with me this evening to the New Testament, to the Gospel of John, and to the chapter 19, the 19th chapter of John's Gospel. Past couple of Lord's Day evenings, we have been looking at Calvary and looking at some of the Gospel accounts that bring us to Golgotha. 
couple of weeks ago, we looked at the drink which the Savior refused at Calvary. And then last Lord's Day evening, we thought about the clothes of the Savior at Calvary. And tonight we come to the sign at Calvary. We're going to break into the chapter at the 17th verse, just as the Savior is bearing his cross. John chapter 19, the verse 17. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said therefore among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. And Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Amen. We'll end there at the 30th verse. May the Lord add his own blessing to this public reading from his own precious and infallible word. Once again, I want to bid everyone a warm welcome this evening. If we do have any visitors with us tonight, we do give you a special welcome, and we trust that you're made to feel warmly welcome in God's house here in Hillsborough.
We remember those as well who join us online across the World Wide Web, Sermon Audio, YouTube and Facebook. And we thank you tonight for tuning in and we trust that the Lord will bless you and will bless his word to your heart this evening. Tuesday night of this week is our midweek prayer meeting and Bible study and we do encourage God's people to come out on a Tuesday night as we meet together around the word and around the throne of grace in prayer. That's at 8pm on Tuesday evening. Thursday we're having a meeting of our session that's at 8pm if our elders could keep that in mind for Thursday night then Friday morning the tiny treasures is at 9.30am then the young people's fellowship on Friday night at 8pm that's the first meeting back of our own youth fellowship and we trust that there will be a good turnout of young people on Friday evening. Next Lord's Day at 10.15, the Sabbath School and Bible Class and our times of public worship each Lord's Day, 11.30 a.m. and 7 p.m., preceded by half an hour of prayer. I mentioned this morning again the planned ladies' trip for Saturday the 24th of September and there are now sheets available on the table in the hallway. We had ran out uh, of those forms but there are more there this evening and we need the ladies to take up those forms and all the details there of that ladies' trip are on the sheet and you've also a menu choice that we need you to fill in. And if you plan to attend on the 24th, we do need you to respond as quick as possible, please, for uh, suitable transport has to be arranged, and also the numbers for catering. And so I would thank those ladies that have already responded, and if others could do so as soon as possible. Tomorrow evening there is the graduation and commencement service for the Whitfield College of the Bible. That's being held in our Bellamina Church. It's tomorrow night at 8pm. The moderator, the Reverend John Armstrong, is the preacher and everyone is welcome. And then I would also like to mention uh, the ladies' conference in Dungannon. That was planned for Monday the 19th of September. But as you will be aware, that's now the day uh, where the Queen's funeral is to take place. And so our Dungannon Church have cancelled uh, that ladies' conference as a mark of respect. So do please remember that, ladies. Uh, the conference in Dungannon that was planned for the 19th has now been cancelled. We're going to sing. Amen. It's great to sing the praises of the Lord together. Returning in God's word to the portion of scripture, we have read John's gospel, the chapter 19. And this evening I would take as my text the words of verse 19. And we read there, And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And tonight we're speaking about the sign at Calvary, this sign that was taken and placed above the cross of the Lord, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Let's just unite our hearts together to seek the Lord's face 
and to ask for his help for the preaching of his word. Our eternal God and our loving Heavenly Father, we do thank thee tonight that we can open up the scriptures together and that we can read thy precious word and we can meditate upon it. And we ask, O God, that thou wouldst grant to each one of us even that listening ear, that understanding heart, that we would have the enlightenment of God the Holy Spirit, the one who is the author of this book. And all tonight, may the entrance of thy word give light. And as we would come again under the shadow of Golgotha, we pray that the preaching of the cross might be the power of God unto salvation to souls that would believe even as a result of this effort tonight. Father, hear us, and for this short time, close us into thy presence. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, after the Savior had been sentenced to death by crucifixion, it was the procedure that those that were to be crucified would first be scourged. And so the cat o' nine tails was taken. It has those leather strips with the metal in the end that whenever the lash of the whip would meet the flesh, that metal would tear up the flesh. And so the Lord Jesus Christ there would be scourged and his visage would be marred more than any man's and his form more than the sons of men. And after the scourging, the victim would have to take their cross and there would be that procession, the carrying of the wooden cross. And of course, we can read in the gospel records that Simon of Cyrene was employed to help the Savior in the carrying of his cross. But as you think about that procession, there was the point whereby Pilate would take a board and he would write upon that board. And he would write upon that board what the victim was guilty of, the crime that they had committed. And that sign would then be taken and it would either be hung around the neck of the prisoner or it would be carried before them in that procession. And it would give an indication to all who were looking on as to what that individual was guilty of. You can imagine the two that were crucified with Christ. Maybe upon the sign that was carried before them or that was put around their neck, it would have said, thief. Or perhaps it would have said, murderer. But when Pilate took that board to write concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and what he was accused of and what he was guilty of, Pilate wrote as the words of our text indicate, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. When he would eventually reach Golgotha and he would be nailed to the tree, and he would be lifted up upon the cross, that sign would then be placed above the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. 
And so all four gospel writers, they give their account of this particular sign. Matthew's gospel, chapter 27 and the verse 37, it's referred to as the accusation. The accusation that was written. That word accusation, it actually refers to the reason for which one is worthy of punishment. And so the accusation concerning Christ is there, and that's the word that Matthew uses. And the accusation was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Mark chapter 15 and Luke chapter 23. The two evangelists use the word superscription. That a superscription was written concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word superscription is the word that's used to describe the writing upon a coin. It would be inscribed into that coin. And so inscribed into this board there was this superscription. You'll notice in our text of Scripture in John 19 and the verse 19, it's not referred to here as an accusation or as a superscription, but it's called here by John a title. It's a title. Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And that word title there is said to be from the Latin originally. And again, a bit like that word accusation, it was to give the reason for a person's suffering. Here's the reason that was given concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. He's Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. If you were following in our Bible reading in verse 20, you could discover there that this particular sign was written in three different languages. The end of verse 20, it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. And the Hebrew there for the Jews that were gathered, the Greek for the Gentiles, the Latin for the Romans and It shows that no matter who looked upon the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary, they could all read the message. This is Jesus of Nazareth. He's the King of the Jews. You see, the scope of the gospel message, it's to reach out to all. The gospel message is for the whosoever. And anyone that would look to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, they can see him there identified by this sign. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And what Pilate has written here actually stated a great truth. Such a great truth that the translators of the authorized version of the scriptures decided to insert it in each of the four gospels in block capital letters. Wants to highlight the importance here of the message of this saying at Calvary. Pilate would never have appreciated the importance of these words. Wouldn't even have realized the truth of these words. He did write them this way intentionally. 
He did it to offend the Jews. He did it to show contempt for them and he did offend them. They took it up with them. But he stated a great truth. Stated it unintentionally. There are other truths like that at Calvary. Words that were spoken, sometimes by way of mockery, sometimes by way of ridiculing the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they express a great truth. You remember when they cast it in his teeth and they said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. That expresses a great truth. He did save others. You could read about them in the gospel accounts. You can read about them in the early New Testament church. All of those testimonies of conversions to the Lord Jesus Christ. I saved others, but himself he cannot save. You see, he cannot do both. He cannot save others and save himself. In order to save others, he had to give himself. And he had to die there upon the accursed tree. And so you can find even at Calvary, there are truths that are stated there. Oh, the deepest truths, but they were stated unintentionally. And here on the signboard, Pilate wouldn't have appreciated the truth of these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. It is amazing to think that all who looked at this particular sign, they would read this message about the Savior. He's the King. The Lord Jesus Christ is the King. They would see that the King has been crucified. You think of Calvary tonight. The Lord Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and there he hangs a bloodied spectacle upon that center tree. We say tonight reverently, he doesn't look like a king. But there he died. A king crucified to save a poor sinner like me. And so as you think about the sign at Calvary tonight, and it brings us to think about the message of the king crucified, I want you to think firstly tonight about the rejected king. The Lord Jesus Christ, we can see from there at Calvary that he is the rejected king. Whenever the time of the Savior's birth came, the fullness of time was come and Jesus entered into this world. Do you remember the question that was asked by the wise men? And they said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? He's born king of the Jews. The very same words. And so there at the very entrance of Christ into the world, we're learning that he's the king of the Jews. And ever since the point of the Savior's birth and his entrance into this world, he became the rejected king. It's John who tells us that he came on to his own. And his own received him not. They rejected him. They rejected their savior king. 
Oh, the royalty and the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is clearly stated. Pilate may have meant it here as a term of scorn, but what a truth. It was something that Pilate seemed to want to hear for himself. He he did want to get something of an understanding of it. You look to the previous chapter to our Bible reading, John chapter 18 and the verse 33. And it says, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? There's that expression. He's asking him the question directly, Art thou the king of the Jews? And the discussion there will continue. And when you come down to verse 37 of John 18, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Art thou a king? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. And the Savior was reaffirming there when he was asked by Pilate, Art thou a king? Are you really the king of the Jews? You come into chapter 19 and you go down to the verse 14. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. As Pilate spoke to the Jews who were accusing the Savior and were wanting him crucified, Pilate saying to them, Behold your king. Verse 15 of John 19. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. And delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. We know that when they took the Savior to crucify him, they would mock his kingship. And they would strip his clothes from off his back. And they would put upon him the purple robe, the color of royalty. And they would put that reed in his hand as the scepter. And they would take that crown of thorns that they had plaited and they would place it upon his head and then they would bow the knee in mockery to the Savior and they would say to him, Hail, King of the Jews. But the words that Pilate has written, the title that he has placed here at the cross of Calvary, it would stand even though he was the rejected king and the Jews wanted him crucified, Pilate has penned the words. The sentence was passed. I'm sure the Jews were greatly relieved. Oh, it's all coming to an end now. We're going to finally rid ourselves once and for all of the Lord Jesus Christ soon whenever he's nailed to the tree and he dies we will hear of him no more and they're wanting him to be nailed to the tree and they're wanting to come uh, to witness it and to know that the Lord is now dead 
Can you imagine their shock? Can you imagine the horror when they turn up there to Calvary and they look to that center tree and their eyes are irresistibly drawn to read the sign above the Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. They sent a delegation to Pilate. You have to change it. You have to change the wording. But Pilate refuses and he says, What I have written, I have written. Therefore, that great declaration stands that as we look to the cross of Calvary, here's the one who is the king. And in the words that were penned on that sign, as we pointed out by way of introduction, they're supposed to give you the accusation. They're supposed to give you what the individual is guilty of, but there's no crime here. It's just a statement. Statement of truth. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ was innocent. The Lord Jesus Christ was sinless. The Lord Jesus Christ was crimeless. There is no accusation that could stand against him. He's going to the cross as the innocent one. And the declaration here stands that it's Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Jews read that and they rejected that. And along with that, they were rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you tonight as you think about Calvary and you think about the King crucified, do you accept that tonight? Or do you reject it? The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the King of glory. Do you believe that it is the person of God's dear Son who hangs upon that center tree? To those tonight who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, they can say with the words of the hymn that we were singing, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be, lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow. Lead me to Calvary. Maybe there's one tonight either here in the church or listening in online or even to a CD recording or to a DVD. You would have to say tonight you have never bowed the knee. You have never come to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your King. Oh, that even tonight you might come in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the king, the rejected king. Secondly, we say he's the reigning king, the reigning king. There are a number of verses in the word of God that make it abundantly clear to us the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there in 1 Timothy, the chapter 1 and the verse 17, as Paul writes to his own son in the faith, notice what he says there, now on to the king eternal. He's speaking about the Lord and he refers to the Lord as the king eternal. When he comes to uh, that point where he wants to praise the Lord, he breaks out into uh, this crescendo of praise and he says, Now on to the King eternal. The Lord is the eternal, the everlasting King. 
over in the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, in the chapter 19, there it's the verse 6, and again it has to do with that praise of the Lord. John says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Ah, the one who is the eternal king, the one who reigns, and he reigns with uh, that power that is omnipotent, almighty power. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Psalm 93 and the verse 1 just commences with those words, The Lord reigneth. Why do you see it tonight that he is the reigning king? The Lord Jesus Christ who came forth tells us there in the minor prophecy of Micah and the chapter 5 and there in the second verse, But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And that prophecy there from the Old Testament scriptures about the entrance of the Lord Jesus Christ into this world, he'll come who is to be the ruler in Israel. The one who has been from of old, yea, from everlasting. What sort of king is the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he's the eternal king. He's the one who is the king of glory. He's the one who is the Lord God omnipotent, the one who reigns in the power of an endless life. And over in Hebrews and the chapter 1, we learn there in the 8th verse, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. There you can see of the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King Eternal, the Omnipotent One who reigns. He reigns there upon an everlasting throne. And as he reigns and as he rules, it's with a scepter of righteousness. In his conversation with Pilate, he had said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. Oh, he is the sovereign ruler of all, including this world. He rules in this world and he rules and reigns in all the affairs of men. Bible tells us that even the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and as rivers of water he turneth it whithersoever he will. The Lord is able to rule in hearts. He rules in wills. He rules in the affections. He rules in this world. He rules in his church and he rules in the hearts of individuals. We say tonight he's the king. He's the king who reigns supreme. And he reigns forever. That's the one who's upon this center tree. Can you see that saying tonight in your mind's eye? Jesus of Nazareth, the King. The 
king of the Jews. I believe in the way that the crosses were positioned, that those thieves on either side of the Savior, they could see him and they could see the sign. And one of those thieves who read the sign, the message got through to his heart. The message of the kingship of Christ must have reached the heart of that particular thief. And while at the beginning he had along with his partner in crime reeled upon the Lord Jesus Christ, yet his heart changed. And he turned to the Savior. You know the words that he said. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And in looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, he therefore believed that he was the king. And he was the king who had a kingdom. And he was the king who was going to that kingdom. And when the thief looked upon the Savior, he saw something more in the king who was being crucified. He saw that there was mercy with the Lord. And he said to the Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. We believe that he received that mercy from the Lord. The Lord said today, Shalt thou be with me in paradise? I ask you tonight, have you ever come to see the kingship of Christ? To see that the one who is upon that center tree is indeed the king of glory? Have you ever come to accept him as your Lord and Savior And have you placed him upon the throne of your heart that the Lord would rule and reign in your life? The rejected king, the reigning king, we say, praise God, tonight the returning king. One day the Lord is coming back and we know that he's coming back in power and in great glory. But just to think for a moment about the first part of that sign. It said, Jesus of Nazareth. That's really speaking there about the humble, lowly origins of the Lord. We know that he was born in Bethlehem, but he lived in Nazareth. Perhaps for 30 years he lived in Nazareth. Nazareth was just that lowly place. Some would have looked upon it as an obscure place, looked upon it even scornfully. But the Savior became known as Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, if you were to go through the New Testament, you would find that that exact expression occurs no fewer than 17 times. Jesus of Nazareth. And on a further four occasions, there are words there that basically say the same, to link the Savior up with that place called Nazareth. In John chapter 1, Philip came to Nathanael, and you remember the witness there in John chapter 1 and the verse 45. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
And when Philip was speaking there to Nathanael about finding the Messiah who had been prophesied of by Moses and the prophets, he says, we've found Jesus of Nazareth. That's how he described him. Nathanael said to Philip, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Such a place. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? But here is the one whose name is Jesus. And we know that that name Jesus, it means saviour. And here's the saviour and he's coming forth out of Nazareth. But there in his first incarnation, his first advent coming into this world, he's Jesus of Nazareth. It speaks there of the humility of the Savior. You know, Peter, whenever Peter followed afar off from the Lord, then he found himself around the fire standing with the world's crowd and then they recognize him. You remember what they said to the Savior or what they said to Peter at that time? They said to him, Thou wast with Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. That's how they described the Lord to Peter. It's interesting that whenever Paul was giving that word of testimony in Acts chapter 22, And he spoke about his time there on the Damascus Road and the great light that shone down from heaven. And he asked a question, and Saul asked that question, Who art thou, Lord? The Lord answered him. The detail he gives in Acts chapter 22, the Lord said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And this title here that's written over the head of the Savior at the cross, he's Jesus of Nazareth, the one who came humbly into this world, the one who was Joseph's son, the carpenter's son that came out of Nazareth. He's Jesus. He's the one who is the Savior. But I emphasize that part of the title this evening, Jesus of Nazareth, because it speaks of the first coming of the Lord in humility. But the Lord has promised to come again. His ascension into heaven, it was said, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come again in like manner as ye have seen him go. And so one day the Lord will fulfill that promise and he will honor his word and he will break through the clouds and he's coming again, but not in humility. Yes, he was the king who came into this world. He was the king who bled and died upon the tree. But he didn't have those trappings of royalty. And when he comes the second time, he's coming to display his kingship. And his kingship will be revealed. It's described in the Bible as the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. 
And my, when we think of the Lord coming back and we were singing about that great day, the crowning day is coming. One day the King is coming in all his glory. Second Peter chapter 3. There are those in verse 4 described there and they say, where is the promise of his coming? They say it with words of disbelief. They question there with words of scorn. Where is the promise of his coming? Peter assures them in verse 10. He says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Then the verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. That scepter of righteousness. The Lord, the King, who is coming back, the King who will reign in righteousness, he is that supreme sovereign. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And I trust tonight in these days in which we live, and they are great days of uncertainty. When you think of the things that are happening at this time, not only in our own land and nation, but across the world. When you think of it tonight, the uncertainty that we know not what a day is going to bring forth. You make sure tonight that the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior and your King. May the Lord bless his word. Amen. Our gracious God, our loving Father, we thank thee for thy precious word. We rejoice, O God, that the entrance of thy word gives light. And even tonight we pray that the light of the gospel would shine brightly forth and that there might be someone tonight, some soul tonight, that would pass from nature's darkness onto the glorious light and liberty of the gospel of Christ. Do give deciding grace, and even tonight as we separate the one from the other, may each one leave thy house with that joy and with that peace in believing. We pray now that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour, and the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit, our Comforter, might rest, remain, and abide with each one, both now and ever. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.